Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural episode of Cold Case College, a collaborative effort here at Tiffin University between the School of Criminal Justice and Social Sciences and the School of um, Creative Media and Arts. My name is Brandon Clay. I am an assistant professor of English and American literature here at Tiffin University. I've been here for 10 years, started here in 2012. Um, sitting across the table from me in our relatively new swanky podcast studio is Dr. Michael Curtis. He is Associate Professor of Criminal Law and Director of the Cold Case Fellowship here at Tiffany University. So this podcast, Cold Case College, will follow that fellowship um, as it rolls officially in fall of 2023. Are there, is there any social media presence for the fellowship yet? Uh, there is not. Currently, but we anticipate uh, creating some type of social media page or platform okay. for individuals, not only for our students, but also for the outside public. Okay. So we'll give you some contact information up front here. If you're interested in learning more about the Cold Case Fellowship or any of the programs at Tiffin University, you can go to the university's website at tiffin.edu. My email address is clay, C-L-A-Y-B-R-J, at tiffin.edu. And Dr. Curtis, what's your email address? Mine is Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S-M-T, at tiffin.edu. Um, I also want to recognize our two student assistants who are handling the um, audio engineering. Um, we have Chris Acri and Evan Watt, who are helping us in the studio today, two of our um, very talented Tiffin University undergraduate students. You want to talk about yourself first, Mike or Michael, or, or the fellowship? Oh, I'll talk about myself first. Uh, sure. Um, I always want to start with uh, the fact that I am not a Ohio resident. I always feel compelled to let people know that I am from the Boston area, and as hard as I as hard as I try to uh, remove the accent, it's it's still present. So uh, I think I want to start with that. Uh, I am a U.S. Navy veteran. Uh, I served in uh, Southwest Asia, Persian Gulf, and also uh, Bosnia Herzegovina. I'm a former law enforcement officer. I was a law enforcement officer approximately 10 years where I've served in the capacity of from patrol officer to investigations um, to drug task force. Uh, I have been a uh, professor of criminal justice for approximately 17 years and I've also been an attorney for approximately 17 years. I've owned my own practice. Uh, I've practiced uh, various areas of criminal law, uh, bankruptcy, real estate, contracts, family law. My background really for the past, you know, including the military for the past 30 years has uh, been in the area of some type of law enforcement. The shorter list is uh, what you haven't done for, for sure. So where are you from originally? I'm from Billerica, Massachusetts, which okay. is approximately 20 miles north of Boston. Yeah. You talked about trying to mitigate the accent. You haven't dropped the ope yet, so you, that, that part of the Midwestern lexicon has yet to seep its way into right, <laughs> to right. your it's speech a, patterns. I go back and renew my visa uh, you know, once <laughs> once or twice a year when I go back home. While we're on geography, I mean, how, how did you first hear about Tiffin University? How, how did we get you here? How did well, we land you here? Well, Tiffin has a very strong reputation for, for criminal justice. And like I've said before, I've, I've been teaching in, uh, you know, basically Midwest since 2006 from Pittsburgh over. Uh, I've always been aware of Tiffin. I went to undergraduate school at West Liberty. State College at the time, it's now university, <clears throat> where I was a criminal justice student. Uh, I was fortunate enough to wrestle at West Liberty. Um, so I was always aware of Tiffin. I actually ap applied for the job 
at Tiffin approximately 10 years ago, and, and I wasn't selected. Um, I'm enamored with the curriculum. I think we offer the most diverse curriculum of any criminal justice college in the country. I think that um, our faculty are, you know, uh, our practitioners first and academic second, and I think that's really important uh, because the, you know our professors and my colleagues here uh, have actually done exactly what they're teaching. So uh, I was attracted to the job 10 years ago. I wasn't fortunate enough to be selected, but this is my second year here. I was selected approximately two years ago, and. Uh, I couldn't be I couldn't be happier to be at uh, such a strong. This is really really a strong program. Yeah, that's a that's a great Tiffin story. I have found in my decade here that people who want to be here thrive. So yeah, you 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 fit that mold. How'd you get into teaching? I mean, you mentioned yeah, law enforcement background, military background, legal background. You've worn a lot of different professional hats. Why besides the exorbitant salary? Why why teaching? <laughs> well. You know, I, I, my, my career in, in education really started as coaching. Uh, and for me, coaching's teaching. So I was a head wrestling coach in, in Steubenville, Ohio, for approximately five years. Um, and that's where my, my passion and love for, for teaching really, really began. Uh, I loved teaching uh, young men uh, the sport and the discipline of wrestling. Uh, I then was fortunate enough to get a federal grant through the uh, police department that I was working where I actually taught at the local high school, criminal justice classes. Uh, and I did that for approximately two years. Uh, it was the first of its kind in the state of West Virginia. Um, so we pioneered that program at, at, in, in Weirton, West Virginia. Uh, and it was really a, a, a great experience where, um, you know, I always knew that I wanted to, to practice law and I wanted to teach after coaching. And what's beautiful about my degree is that it provides me the versatility to do both. Um, so I haven't stopped practicing law. Uh, I've continued to practice law as a professor. It provides opportunities with time off to, to take cases and, and do other things. So I, I really developed a passion as a coach. And then my passion uh, was developed even more teaching at the, at the high school level. And when I graduated from law school, I I gravitated towards becoming a professor in criminal justice. Fascinating. Yeah. And so you mentioned your undergraduate education was at West Liberty, now University. Um, law school was Duquesne? Duquesne, that, correct. Correct. Um, what was your experience like there? Well, you know, I, I wasn't the strongest student in high school. I was more focused on the, the less important things like being an athlete. And so I was very fortunate to, to get the opportunity to go to West Liberty, and, and I'm grateful for the education that they provided to me. Um, so when I, when I became a full-time law enforcement officer, <clears throat> Duquesne um, offered an evening program um, that ran four nights a week for four years in the evening. Uh, and so... For me, it was just a natural progression from going from law enforcement into becoming an attorney. Um, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed being in law enforcement, but I, I thought that I could be challenged. I wasn't ready, but particularly for the challenge that I, that I had faced when I went to law school, because I think in the field of law enforcement, we're, off, we're often taught to, te uh, to think black and white. Either they violated the law or they didn't. Whereas law school, it's, it's more of a circular, circular analytical type of uh, Socratic way of thinking. So uh, at first, I, I, I wasn't sure if I even belonged, if I'm being honest. I, you know, I was going to law school with people that went to Penn and Harvard and, 
and Dartmouth and some of the Ivy Leagues and uh, some of the really big, impressive colleges like uh, Penn State and Western Union University. And so it was really challenging for me. And I was and I was working a full-time rotating shift when I was going to law school. So I was working day turn, afternoon turn, midnights. I would have court in the morning. So I'd work at midnight, be in court till 1 o'clock, sleep for four hours, drive to Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, and a lot of that's a credit to the agency that I worked at because they were very flexible. The guys that I worked with were super supportive, and they traded me shifts when the, when I had to be in, in class at, in, in the evening in law school. And it was really challenging for me. Um, but, um, you, know, I, you know, people always say, you know, don't worry, it'll pay off later on. Right. And, and when you're in it or they say, oh, well, that went fast for me. And I'm like, yeah, I went fast for you. Didn't go so fast for me. So it, it, it was it's really the best decision that I've ever made. It has opened doors for me that I couldn't have dreamt of. I'm a first generation high school graduate. Nobody in my immediate family has graduated from high school. Uh, and so the opportunities that have provided for me have been um, unparalleled. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the education that I was provided at Duquesne. It was very challenging. It's a religious Catholic university, and they, they teach ethics and morals and values first. We try to uh, make sure that we're practicing law ethically. And I think that that's a really important message, uh, not only for law enforcement, but for, for attorneys to, to uphold the Constitution and do what's ethically and morally right. My brother is an attorney, so I know better, but many people don't understand that about attorneys, that, that the best attorneys, I would hazard, I guess, to say most attorneys, um, do try to act ethically. I agree. Uh, at all times. Yeah, I agree. I think a number of things that you said, Dr. Curtis, will speak to your ability to connect with Tiffany University students, many of whom work, many of whom are first-generation college students. So um, a number of things that you've highlighted already today kind of make sense to me in terms of your ability to not only connect with students, but to attract students to the institution to help them thrive once they're here. Let's talk a little bit about the fellowship. Okay, so you are, in addition to the, uh, the many things that you do, um, you are the director of the Cold Case Fellowship, and that's the focus of this podcast. So um, if you could, t- tell us the, the origin story of the fellowship. How did it come to be? Did it exist before you came to TU? Did you help to create it? What is your relationship to it? It did not exist before I came to, uh, to Tiffin University. I, I, I believe that this, this, uh, this fellowship was the brainchild of Dr. Uh, Schumacher and, and Dr. Holbrook. I think it probably had its genesis in the admissions uh, folks because they had students that were outside of the public asking whether or not we had any type of what we call an immersive learning experience. And so my second year here, we, we started talking about and kicking the idea around about looking at a cold case fellowship. And uh, like I had stated before, I think that what separates Tiffin from a lot of universities is we're really attempting to mold our students into becoming practical professionals. So uh, some of our students go on to graduate school and some of our students become lawyers and but a lot of our students go right into the field. And so we really want to give them the opportunity to immerse themselves in actual practical application of theoretical principles in, in the classroom. Based on my earlier comments, I, I was not the greatest student. So the best way for me to learn, um, if, if it's taught to me, I'll remember 80, 80%. If, it's, if I read it and it's taught to me, I'll remember 90 uh, If I read it and it's taught to me and I get to practice it and I get to go tactically hands-on. I'll never forget it. And so I think that providing that opportunity for the students at Tiffin University 
makes them a unique and viable candidate for these law enforcement agencies that a lot of them want experience. Uh, and so I think the genesis of that is that we are sort of practically oriented as a, as a university. We, are, we do put individuals in jobs, and we want to prepare those individuals, and we want to develop those relationships with agencies, federally, state, local, county. Uh, we're producing, you know, when my seniors get to become seniors, I don't call them students anymore, I call them candidates. And so we want them to be candidates for hire, and we want them to have a unique skill set that other universities don't provide their students. And I think that is really what makes Tiffin University a unicorn in that area. Because I graduated from with a traditional criminal justice degree, and I had zero practical experience. And so when we provide that practical experience, and we put that practical experience on a resume where our students are actually working real world, real life, real cases that are either currently under investigation, shelved on investigation. It's a great opportunity for them to learn, and it's also a great opportunity for us to develop relationships with outside agencies and also the community. I mean, when we talk about someone that's been murdered or killed or is missing, there's the families behind those people. And so we want to we wanna provide that service not only to our law enforcement partners, but all, also the community. And I think that it gives our students a unique uh, opportunity to practice what they're learning in the classroom. Unique is a word that you repeated several times. I think it is a unique kind of program that presents a unique kind of opportunity, certainly at the undergraduate level. Experiential learning has become a, a cliche, a catchphrase in higher education. And, and like many cliches, it's losing meaning <laughs> the more it's used um, in different contexts. But this seems to me to be a kind of program that will be truly experiential in the sense that students will be immersed in working on a real live case that has real live public service implications. You know, but for the benefit of our, of our listeners, I will share that one of our charges as instructors at Tiffany University, regardless of our discipline, regardless of what program we may teach in, is to link theory to the professions, to not just teach our students ideas, which is valuable in and of itself, but to link those ideas to meaningful work. Now, the meaning can be compensation. The meaning can be helping a grieving family. I agree that the, the fellowship certainly um, sounds unique, and it's definitely exciting. I mean, I am an English professor. I teach other general education courses, but when I first heard of the fellowship, it piqued my interest. The more I heard Dr. Curtis talk about it, the more excited I became and, and wanted to become affiliated with the project because I think it can be meaningful, certainly not only for our students, but for a number of communities both here and regionally. Tell us about the logistics of the program. I mean, the Cold Case Fellowship is kind of in a pilot stage now. It's incubating with some students beginning to do some work, and we're going to roll it out in a fuller way in the fall of 2023. Is that correct? We're talking right now spring of 2023. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we, uh, last semester we had selected students um, uh, amongst the undergraduate students here at Tiffin University. These students are very high-performing students, so there was a grade point average requirement, and there also had to have been some type of professor recommendation for these students. So not only have they performed in the classroom, but they have somehow identified themselves performance-wise with my colleagues. This is not a program that's just limited to criminal justice students. We want all students. We want students that have the capacity to uh, to have analytical ability, English students, any really student that has an interest in this 
uh, has an opportunity to be in the program. So we selected approximately eight students last semester. We're piloting the program this semester. Currently, we're meeting every Friday. And because some of some students are at different levels of curriculum, so some of them haven't had like the basics of like criminal investigation or report writing and interviewing. So we're really at the at the, the genesis of the program now where I think incubating is, is a great word where we're, I'm preparing students to start to look at these cases. Um, and they have to have some fundamental basis and background of a, what they're looking for, B, what's important evidence-wise, and, and, and C, like what's the, what's the process by which these initial law enforcement agencies have undertook to, to look at these cases. So they have to have that fundamental basic training, and that's really what we've been doing for the past 14 weeks. We meet every Friday, you know, back to the immersion. This isn't a casual program. This is a program that's going to require commitment. This is a program that's going to require time, energy, resources and effort and so we want students that are not only passionate about uh, doing the work but have the capability and maturity to do the work because we're working with real live people in real live cases uh, that have consequences a lot of the information that we receive is confidential some of these cases uh, one I'm thinking of right now that's upcoming is they're still in the process of like using cadaver dogs to find the body. It's really important that we have high performing, mature students that this isn't casual. This is something that is on top of and outside of their regular academic curriculum. So it's a big responsibility. It's a big responsibility for the student. It's a big responsibility that we owe to the agencies who entrust us with this information. And it's a big responsibility to the public. And so the payoff for those serious, engaged students who you are finding now, because um, right now you're creating a culture around a program that is new. The payoff for those students for that hard work, that seriousness, is then the experience that translates into that entry-level job interview, that connection to you to your colleagues, both here at the institution and in law enforcement agencies, locally, regionally, that will distinguish them from their peers from other institutions when it, when it comes time to graduate. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, these students are going to be building huge social capital. They'll be building networks with agencies that, frankly, our regular students don't have that opportunity. You know, when I think about the hiring process, you know, there's, there's 200 people out there for, for a position. So what separates you? So tell me why you're unique. Tell me why you're different. Tell me why you're a candidate should I, that I should hire. And I think after being in this cold case fellowship, I think it would be a very easy explanation for that student to tell that hiring manager or that agency, well, this is what separates me from the 199 other people that are sitting on that room that want the same job. You have 16 students right now? Is that correct? We have currently 16 students under contract okay. uh, for next fall. The goal is 25. Okay. I will tell you that we, uh, we have students by, you know, every week. We have students reaching out. I have no doubt that we're going to fill 25, and but I have no doubt that we're going to be turning students away as well. It's capped at 25. Correct. Correct. Right. Correct. So it, this is competitive. Absolutely. It's competitive. They have to uh, meet a certain GPA criteria in high school. They have to submit an essay as to why they're interested in the program, and they have to be endorsed. They have to show me some type of maturity and responsibility from either a coach, a teacher, or somebody that is, is willing to 
to say that this is a student that I would entrust with this with this responsibility. Before we talk through a little bit about your vision for a four-year sequence, I mean, right now you're getting started with current students, but in a moment I'll have you talk through what the vision looks like for a, a new cohort coming out of high school and moving through a four-year sequence in the fellowship. Before we do that, how, how can a student apply um, to the fellowship? Sure. If they go to tiffin.edu and go to the admissions website, there is an application procedure that they can follow. They can submit an application along with an essay. There's some other obstacles and hoops that they have to jump through. They have to have an interview with me. So I've conducted, I don't know, at least 16 interviews and over the last semester and you know and I ask questions like what do you do outside of school do you understand the responsibility that that this fellowship entails uh, are you willing to take on that responsibility tell me about your maturity tell me about what separates you from the 400 and other 50 other kids that are in your class tell me about some of your extracurriculars tell me about uh, some athletics that maybe that you've been involved in tell me about some leadership opportunities that you've because th these students have to display leadership and so you know, I, I ask, I think, pointed and relevant questions to, to make sure that we're selecting a student that I can entrust with, with information. So what does the four-year sequence for the fellowship look like? How do, how do things scaffold from that first semester on campus through that last moment before graduation? Sure. So uh, basically, you know, in the initial cohort, we're going to do exactly what we did last semester. So we're going to introduce them to, they're going to be a first semester freshman, and they will not have had any classes in, in criminal justice except for maybe intro that semester. So we're really going to have to ramp up some of the some of the, the information that they receive uh, as far as criminal investigation, interviewing, interrogation, data analysis, case analysis, how to separate a case, what victimology is, what's a victim-centric approach, which is the approach that we're going to take. So there's going to be a lot of like introduction training. This is also a, there's also a leadership component to this. And so we want students to be involved in uh, leadership activities. We want outside speakers. We want to expose them to professionals that are actually working in the field. They'll, they'll go to crime scenes. They'll travel to coroner's offices. They'll speak with actual detectives who are actually working on cases. And, and so there's that component. But basically, um, you know, as a freshman, their opportunity to do really any immersive cold casework is going to be limited in their first semester. Uh, and then we're going to allow them to have a what we call a mentor-mentee relationship. So our upperclassmen who've been selected based on criteria, they're going to be they're going to mentor those younger students. And we're going to scaffold it just like we do. Law enforcement is is a paramilitary organization. So those students are going to be directed by their mentor, and their responsibilities are going to progress uh, as they progress and scaffold through the through the four years. So by the time they hit their junior year. Uh, they will have worked on some cold case, but that will be at the direction of both myself and their mentors. So the mentor will give them duties and responsibilities to, to be accountable for, and then they'll report to the mentor who will report to, to me. And so it, there is going to be that scaffold of like sort of a chain of command. I think we have to keep it structured and organized. Uh, students have to understand that there's accountability as far as like uh, what they can and what they can't talk about. You know, and one of the things I talk about with students, the first year freshmen, and if, if they, if, you know, one of the things is their expectations. So I want to, I want to be honest about expectations and I want to limit their expectations because if they think they're going to start kicking down doors and stepping on people's toes and asking questions of victims and victims' families, then that's really not their role. 
Uh, now, ultimately, later on, uh, when we're when we're maybe bringing in a witness or a suspect or or gathering information, they'll be exposed to that. But they're not that they don't have the training to ask questions that are probative nor uh, that either exculpatory and inculpatory. So there's there's a there's a, a learning curve that they're going to have to follow. They're going to have to be patient. They're going to have to temper their expectations. I'm not selling anything here. This is a service. This is a service to the student. This is a service to the community. And this is a service to law enforcement agencies who are entrusting us with information that is highly sensitive. And so they need to understand that. And so those are some of the things that we'll be platforming to. We, when they become juniors and seniors, they'll have mentees and they'll push the work onto the mentees that, that they didn't necessarily want to do. And, but also there's a level of responsibility and accountability that's built there. Um, and so that's really how I see it progressing. You know, you hit your, your junior, your senior year, and you're actively doing investigations accompanied by either myself or another colleague or a law enforcement professional who's actually working on the case. So uh, there's a progression now. If yeah, it occurs to me that the way you describe that, Dr. Curtis, is that uh, one of the things that will happen for students is that from their initial interview with you, and then once they're ultimately accepted and begin the fellowship from that first semester, it parallels in some way the experience of interviewing for getting hired into and beginning a law enforcement career. So that as they progress from year one to year two, it in some way parallels that professional progression in a law enforcement agency. That's not something I had really thought of when I started to wrap my mind around the fellowship. And I don't know if it's the direct intent of the fellowship, but it's certainly there in the structure. Absolutely. There's a method to our madness, right? So students have to understand. They, they, they watch these shows, and they're going to be CSI investigators as soon as they graduate. And that's just not reality. Reality is, is you're going to get an entry-level job. You're going to perform, be a high-performing entry-level officer or, or a federal agent. Uh, and you're somehow going to have to differentiate yourself and make yourself attractive to those positions. They don't just hand out those positions. Those positions are earned based on merit. And so this is duplicating that process. You're coming in as an entry-level freshman. You'll be giving some responsibilities, but you will increase your responsibilities based on your performance and based on your level of maturity, based on your, your level of commitment, and then if you show us that, then we're going to provide you with bigger responsibilities. And that's exactly how that platforms in any law enforcement agency across the country. It's yeah. merit-based. Absolutely. It'll, yeah. And it'll, yeah. it, it will definitely translate into a marketable graduate. Ag agreed. So, Dr. Curtis, are you, are you willing or able to talk about which agencies you're, you're going to be partnering with? Or is that not, not, not something you, you want to talk about at this point? No, that's fine. I mean, we've, we've had contact with multiple agencies. They've predominantly been Ohio agencies. Right now, we're leaning on the social capital that my colleagues and myself have earned over careers. I mean, we have some, I have some exceptional colleagues. You do. Who, I, I'm not I mean, in your school, but you do. You do. Unbelievable. I mean, the, some of the experience from federal agencies to state agencies to, to attorneys to just unbelievable intelligence individuals that are in Homeland Security. And I marvel at my colleagues and often wonder if 
if I'm even worthy to be among them. So uh, we're, we're capitalizing on their social capital. And some of them come, uh, you know, from agencies that are, that are large, some of them a little bit smaller. But, you know, we have contacts with Wood County. We have contacts with Maumee, Perrysburg, Toledo, other areas. Initially, I would like to keep it local because I want the payoff to be local. Our students generally get hired local, so I want to network that out. But ultimately, if, if, if we're successful and we build our reputation, we have a loose affiliation with the Cold Case Foundation out of Salt Lake City, Utah. That gentleman was graceful enough to come last semester in uh, November and be our, our, uh, the director of that program. He's a retired FBI behavioral analyst. He runs a Cold Case Foundation out of Salt Lake City, and the network of their professionals are unbelievable. They have some 200 loosely associated uh, professionals anywhere from forensics down to state troopers and FBI agents and CIA agents and so that network is is really is really huge so right now we're building cases we're building cases locally Fostoria you know we've developed connections with them we hope to receive some cold cases from them so right now we're focusing local and then with the hopes of branching out later on and so in fall in the fall semester roughly how many cases will you decide to work on right now we're looking at a, a depending on numbers we're probably gonna we're probably gonna actively pursue five okay so you got 25 students five cases are you gonna cohort break the students up correct roughly equal groups yeah we're, okay. we, we're actually working on on a space right now or developing and uh, we're gonna break the students up in five teams and those teams will be led by those upperclassmen mentors and will be assigned each case I'm going to run like, like I tell my students like I don't have time to do the work that they're gonna do. So I'm the director, I'm gonna direct, right? And so I, I anticipate a reporting structure where we have basically a briefing every Friday, or you know maybe we, may, we, we take a trip to go to a crime scene, or we go talk to a detective that's working the case, and those will be based on teams. So we try to hit each team, each team will report back to me in a, sort of a briefing session about where they are in the case, what new leads they've developed, uh, what they think needs to, to be uh, looked at, maybe some loose ends. You know, one of the things that I really want to stress is that we're not here to Monday morning quarterback these agencies. You know, what happens is, you know, you have these murders and you have these missing persons cases that they become cold for a reason. They become cold be, not because of the lack of effort on law enforcement, but li literally the lack of staff and resource. And so if I have a, if I have a case from two years ago that was you know a, a murder case but i have continuous murder cases coming in so i have to work on the on the freshest case and often these cases get pushed to the back burner and it's not for lack of it's not because the the, the police officers are apathetic it's because they just don't have time to do it uh, and really with just fresh eyes you know we're really just looking at things from you know, say, you know, 30,000 foot, you know, view and sort of looking to see if there's any loose ends, looking to see if all the suspects have been uh, vetted. We're looking to see if there's any tests that should be conducted. We look to see if, you know, DNA is, you know, it's been around for a while, but is there a possibility that there is a test out there that we, that, that we can get conducted? Uh, is there a witness? So I talked about victim centric. The first thing we're going to do is look at the victim. What most people don't realize is if you focus just on the suspects first, you're losing the component of who the victim was. We call, you know, It's victimology. We study the victim. What was their lifestyle? Where did they work? What were the connections, right? 
some of the basic things that you know I talk to my students about are, are, are these witnesses and suspects are they even still alive so we need to find that out right uh, so we look at that victim-centric approach and then we build out and often people are killed by people or become missing by people who they're either acquainted or they know or have come some contact with them sometime in their life so if we build from the victim out then we could potentially look at it at a different angle. Not a better angle, but a different angle. That wasn't necessarily the angle that traditional police methods used 25 years ago, 30 years ago. So, you know, based on academia and based on studies and based on looking at the victimology, we know that we can look at the victim and network and tentacle out to see maybe if something was missed. So really, that's the approach that we're going to take. I think you've raised a really important point to underscore, um, which is that this is, you know, the cold case fellowship is not a corrective endeavor. It is intended to complement um, professional, competent efforts at solving crimes or, or mysterious circumstances, right? I think that's one of the things that differentiates Tiffany University's ability to pull this kind of program off when compared to many of our peer institutions in the sense that this is not a group of traditional academics second-guessing police work, rehashing what they might perceive to be failed investigations. These are criminal justice professionals who have moved into academia with one foot <laughs> and right. keeping um, the other foot squarely in the professional field and providing a service with resources that law enforcement agencies just don't have, time and other kinds of resources. Yeah, I mean, I was speaking to one of the detectives, I won't say what agency, but he articulated just that. Like, you know, it's not, I just don't have time. You know, there's two of us. And we have X amount of backlog of cases that they have to clear. Uh, so it's not a matter of apathy. It's a matter of resource. Um, you know, one of the things that I want to discuss with agencies is that we're not here to show up or undermine or embarrass or second guess or what I call Monday, Monday morning quarterback. What we're here is in the first person that will hear about anything that we find will be that agency. It will not be the public. It will not be the press. Hey, look at us, look at us. That's not what we're here for. We're here to provide a service that helps that agency. And the other thing about Tiffin University, I think that is really speaks to, to how respected we are is, you know, these agencies wanna work with us. These agencies know our faculty. The members of these agencies are Tiffin University graduates. So, and we're represented from Cleveland, to Toledo, to Columbia, we're represented everywhere. So our reputation has built a lot of that goodwill. And we're going to make sure that we maintain that goodwill, that we're accountable to that goodwill, that we're responsible to that goodwill, and that the first person or the first notice that we give to anybody for anything that we may find, whether it's a scintilla evidence or whether it's somebody that we think is a person of interest, that will be that agency. It will not be anybody else. With, as you indicated earlier, the victim at the center of the process, of um, the, the, the methods that you employ, and the philosophy behind what you're doing and why you're doing it. So working 
closely in connection with law enforcement agencies from a position of respect, keeping the victim-centric approach is, is the general philosophy that um, you have created and the culture that you're establishing. Well, and, you know, and also, you know, one of the things that these, this freshman cohort has to understand is these are real people. These are real victims. This isn't a TV show. Uh, this isn't fictional. This isn't a scenario. This isn't a practical. This is real world, and there is an absolute possibility that you can re-victimize somebody by bringing it up. And they have to have the maturity and understand that when I contact somebody who's lost a loved one, there is a massive responsibility in that. They have to show compassion. They have to show empathy, and they have to understand we're pulling a scab off that somebody hasn't maybe talked about in years. And, you know, time's a great equalizer. People die. People get divorced. Tongues get loosened. Relationships are lost. Connections. And people become more willing to divulge information. And that's really what we're going to be looking at. It's going to be a fascinating ride. I think I'm looking forward to, to watching <laughs> from a distance and helping to tell the stories that emerge. One of the beautiful parts of this kind of um, initiative is that we don't know where it's going to end up. We know what the students are going to get out of it in terms of preparation for a, a professional career, um, experiential learning, their kind of academic components. We know what we're going to deliver to them, but the stories that will emerge in terms of their individual growth, leads or lack thereof, in the cases that, that you choose to focus on is is yet to be to be seen. So stay tuned you know, to the podcast, and we will unfold the stories as they emerge. Anything else you want to talk about before I kind of say closing things, just re- refresh the... No, I mean, it's just that, uh, you know, if, if students are interested, either current students, we're going to open up the selection process here again uh, next fall for upperclassmen. The goal is to have 100 students at the end of four years, so a 25-a-year format. Uh, obviously, we're going to have to grow the, the casework, the caseload that we're, that we're working on, but uh, it is an unbelievable opportunity for students to practically apply and get real-world experience, and I think a great way for Tiffin University to distinguish itself amongst not only sister schools in Ohio, but, but nationally. Agreed, uh, yeah. Uh, and I think um, in future episodes, what we'll do is we'll, because we'll, I couldn't do it right off the top of my head, um, give some demographics about TU where Tiffin is, because there will be people locally who will know roughly who we are. But we'll want to say where Tiffin is, how many students we've got, general sense of some of the programs. I mean, directing people to the website will do some of that. Sure. But I mean, initially, we're just kind of feeling our way through it. But I think I'll need to have some canned language in front of me that I say at the beginning, on the way out, um, plug the website again. As we build individual social media profiles, whatever, plug those. Um, give credits to our student folks. We'll do that at the beginning and at the end kind of thing. Yep, but sounds great. Yeah, I think we're good for today. I mean, that's, we've, we've got at least some material recorded Yeah, we can great. work with. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Sure. Thank yeah. you.